Today's sermon text, which comes from the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and then chapter 2, verses 1 through 4 as well. The oracle that the prophet Habakkuk saw, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen or cry to you, violence, and you will not save why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. I will stand at my watchpost and station myself at the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. Then the Lord answered me and said, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it, for there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, Wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous live by their faith. The word of the Lord. Amen. There was a reporter commenting on his childhood. When he was 13 years old, he sat on the living room floor as his dad smoked cigarettes in a lounge chair and flipped the channels. His channel surfing stopped on a news report. There were people shouting, holding signs, two lines of people. And at one point, the fever pitch just exploded, and people began hitting other people with batons and, and hoses. He didn't know much about it then. This would be the defining moment for his consciousness. This was a rally in our civil rights struggle. He'd heard about rallies and protests before from his father, but he didn't know much about them. This one was about civil rights. Others were about war. What woke him up, though, was not the image on TV of people hitting each other or yelling or holding up signs. It was like so many other things that awakened something deep inside of us. It was music. There the inimitable Bob Dylan and his music came across the airwaves, and it coalesced and changed something inside of him. The times, they are changing. We often use music to mark our struggle in the world, don't we? We, we look at a world that's fraught, whether in the newspaper or our own experience, and music becomes a way to, to talk about it and to engage it. It could be Bob Dylan, The Times They Are a Change In, which is one of my favorites, or it could be Billy Joel, We Didn't Start the Fire. I love that baby boomer anthem, The World's a Mess, Don't Blame It on Us, or Jay-Z's 99 Problems. Oh, it's not funny. It has real problems stated between communities and police officers. There's ways that we pour ourselves out creatively and maybe that's a way to handle it with some sense of safety because the world is fraught. The world in the day of our beloved prophet Habakkuk was in 
deed fraud. No one is 100% certain what was going on in the day of Habakkuk. What we believe, most likely, was that Israel was on the wane, culturally, economically, politically on decline. There were wars all around Israel from other warring parties and other would-be empires to see who could gain that foothold of real estate here in the world. Many think that this is right at the beginning of the Babylonian rise. We don't know 100%. But we do know from Habakkuk's own words what he is seeing with his own eyes and feeling deep down in his spirit. Here is what he says about his world. It is filled with violence, contention, and trouble. He doesn't know what to do amidst the chaos, and so he turns his eyes heavenward, and from the longing that can't be described, deep down inside of us, he utters out some questions, two questions that agonize together to form a tapestry of pain and hope, and he says, why God? And one like it, how long, O Lord? Have you ever felt like Habakkuk? Maybe as you take the paper in the morning and go from page to page, or as you lie in bed before you fully wake and scroll through your phones, meticulously curated news that you have for you on your phones, or maybe as you check social. Have you ever just looked at the world and, and wanted to say, why God, how long? Or maybe, maybe more, are you even there at all, God. Alicia Olive has had to ask that question in her life. There was a period of time she didn't leave her home. She was afraid. She had gone through some trauma. Finally, her family and friends said, why don't you just come on out with us? We'll go over to the garlic festival. It will be lovely. And so Alicia goes with her loved ones to this festival. I think she's probably like me. Without the trauma, she loves festivals. You can smell the cotton candy, it's sickly sweet. And you can hear the crackling of some burnt ends over at the barbecue station. And there's kids, oh, the kids. The roads are sticky because of the snow cone and Kona ice spillage. And there's the sound of a fair and some singer-songwriter over in the corner. And then she heard it, pop, 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 pop. Oh, no. Alicia asked herself this question, why not again? She was about to experience her second mass shooting. She had become a veteran of such things, if you can be. You see, she survived that harrowing and terrible, deplorable mass shooting in Las Vegas. And now she's here at the Garlic Festival. She finally could come out of her house. Being a veteran, though she was, she, she could ask the question, why why again? And think fast how to save me and my loved ones. Underneath the why not again, I can hear in Alicia's testimony a deeper primordial cry. Why God? Why this? It calls out from deep to deep. We could call it out any day we look at the paper. Globally, I, I tried to figure out yesterday how long the United States of America, our country, how long have we been in war or conflict with another country? 
And I got to tell you, it's hard to tell because we changed the definition of those words. All I know is that we're in many of them now. I tried to count them up. Again, hard to tell because we changed the way that we define conflict and war. And so I'm watching, thinking, how long, how much more will this take? What's necessary, God? Or let's get away from the general and let's drill down into the particular for a moment. We live in a world currently, right now, where white supremacy, white nationalism is in fact on the rise. And we live in a world now where you say, if you say I'm an anti-racist, you're in some circles not so welcome. Our good friend Rabbi Peter Berg across the street has told this congregation that he's never experienced more anti-Semitism in his entire life than right now. Why? Why, oh Lord, what is going on with us? Oh, and here's the one that really boggles my mind. The Ras there's a Rasmussen poll that has polled 31%, or par par pardon me, polled likely voters. And of the likely voters polled, 31% said that they can imagine another civil war happening in our country. Really? We can still imagine that? 31%? That may not sound like a lot. My friends, that's 31% too many who can imagine taking up arms against their fellow countrymen. In a world such as ours, I think there's one or two responses. Like Habakkuk, we can turn our hearts and our minds heavenward and simply cry out to that which can no, no greater can be thought, to God, and say, why and how long? Or, or we can retreat, emotionally retreat into a romanticized past and talk about the good old days. You know the good old days. That was when we knew who our enemies were. You know the good old days. That was when good American folk ate apple pie and everyone went to church on Sunday. You know the good old days. This is, this is when people knew how to have and carry on a conversation. The thing about the good old days is, and this is old wisdom, the good old days never existed. They were never as good as we thought. And all we have to do is take a sincere look back to find out that they too were fraught. This church was founded in 1925. I went back to the year 1925 in the Wayback Machine this week and I took a look at it. In 1925, America saw its first motel open up. Americans were taken to the road, which might arouse in you some romantic feelings about Highway 66 and things like this, but really this was just one more pin put into the ground of a community displacement. In 1925, our country saw an enormous trial of the century called the Scopes Monkey Trial. If you're in a science class today or a history class, they will tell you this is when, this is when religion and Darwinism were put on trial. It's not even true. Here's what's true. What's true is the, the PR from that trial put a line in the sand and put religion on one side and science on the other and has damaged our conversation to this very day. You know what was really on trial? It wasn't the science of Darwinian evolution. It was rather the social engineering ideas of Darwinian sociology or put another way, eugenics. Oh, but now, but now because of this world we're in, you and I have a hard time talking science and religion, and we really shouldn't have that struggle. 
1925. F. Scott Fitzgerald wrote and published his famous novel, The Great Gatsby, about class struggle. And of course, we all know if we're students of the 20th century, this class struggle continued to change and evolve, and it included the aforementioned civil rights era that I mentioned. 1925 wasn't easy, but just so you don't think I'm a sour, sour, sour puss, I, I will tell you that something lovely opened in 1925, the Grand Old Opry. So you got that. This sanctuary was dedicated in 1928. That's what we're celebrating when we say Heritage Sunday. And this weekend in 1928, the people of this church got to gather in its beauty and worship and it's wonderful. What was going on in 1928? Well, here's something of interest. The first transatlantic flight took place. Amelia Earhart crossed the ocean. That's a pretty high, wonderful, wonderful mark. I looked to the music charts, number three. The number three hit was Sunny Boy by Al Jolson. He sang it in blackface. I'm going to say that again. He sang it in blackface. Well, it's the same problems that 1925 had, but now we had the invention of Mickey Mouse and the yo-yo, which I think that's apropos because... A yo-yo, symbolically, the up-and-down nature of the yo-yo would really come to define the economic woes of the time just after 28, and it would define the peace and war feelings of the time as we were about to enter not only a depression, but another war on the heels of a war that was said to be the war to end all wars. Let's just be frank. Let's just admit for the founders of our congregation, for our ancestors and our loved ones, our good old days were their days, and their days were just as tough and just as confusing and just as difficult to navigate as the days that you and I face. Perhaps our founders felt a lot like me and you. Perhaps they felt like Habakkuk. What are you up to, God? Where are you in this? But I've got mad respect for Habakkuk don't you? He's, he's looking at the world and it's so hard and so his heart is turned to God in a questioning stance. But he does the one mature spiritual thing that most don't. You see, most of us would allow those questions to turn to cynicism or, or to make us tuck tail and run away or even worse of, of all these things, delve into apathy. Habakkuk runs, he runs to his watch post and he stands on the night's watch and he keeps his eyes open and his ears open and he is going to wait for God to do what God is going to do and as he waits at the night's watch, God speaks. And here is what God says to Habakkuk. Habakkuk, I have a vision, write it down, make it plain. It's the same vision as we've always had, but write it down and make it plain. Put it on a tablet, but make it so plain someone running by can read it. I thought about that this week. I thought of a tablet kind of like this and writing down this vision statement and then seeing a runner run by and reading it. If a runner's going to run by and read that, they'd have to be running pretty slow, wouldn't you agree? 
So I magnified my imagination of what this tablet could look like. And, and before long, I started imagining that this, that this vision of God that's been there since the beginning and is being nailed down again could be written as plain and simple and large as some billboards going into some small town in Missouri. It's a plain vision. Don't fret God will move. Don't fret the wrongs we put right. God will work to bring mercy and justice into a merciful, a merciless and unjust world. God will move again, my friends. Make no mistake, this is not the end. And this is a fresh message for you and me. It's ancient, but it's fresh because our world is crazy. It's more polarized than ever. We're living in the hottest summer ever. And let's be honest, you drove here driving past people who seem happy, eating brunch. But you came here and you sat here and, and you might ask like me, what is God up to and what does God want us who are here to do about it? What are you up to, God? Let me submit to you that we must remain faithful to the vision that God gave this church at the first. And we need to make it plain. It is said that our church was to be a cathedral for Atlanta, a gift to the city. I know some of us like to think that this is my church or our church, but it's not. In its DNA, this church was a gift to this community. It was supposed to draw all people in here for safety and shelter. We said in our foundational documents that there will be no unkind word said about anyone's race or religion here. And I don't care what your politics, 94 years ago, that's saying something in Atlanta, Georgia. We wanted all people to come in here and find us a place of prayer for all people where you could come and you could call this place your own. We wanted people to have community here with God and with one another. The foundation of this church is profound. The vision was made plain. 155 years ago on this land, there was a battle of Peachtree Creek, brother against brother. I know you all believe you're standing on Georgia red clay, but you're standing on soil painted red with blood. That's the soil you're standing on. Yet, 94 years ago, some really brave people moved out to the sticks of Atlanta and said, we're going to give a place to the city. We're going to give a space back to God. And then we're going to curate stories. When people drive by, this building speaks and it says, there is more and don't give up hope. Oh, it's a place of redeemed space. It's a redeemed people that meet here to help redeem the world, to bring God's ways to bear in a broken and hurting world. This is a community that opened its doors to the temple after it was bombed in friendship and said, you have a home here. This is a community that the second pastor of our church helped write the Atlanta Declaration for Civil Rights. This is a community that helped find ministries called Midtown Assistance Center and so many others. Peachtree Christian Hospice, now called Peachtree Christian Health, to care for the goes with cognitive decline. This is a community's vision that has been given to us, and we need to make it plain. Amidst the chaos and amidst the trouble and amidst the worry, make it plain. God is not done with you. God is not gone, and God is not silent. God invites you into the story to be part of making this world over again. And remember what dear Habakkuk is told by God. Don't trust the haughty. Don't trust the proud. Don't even trust the powerful. Remember 
that the righteous ones live by faith. The faith of the next right thing. The faith of the next good step. The next faithful moment of following after God's ways. So I'm reminded now of a poem by Alfred Lord Tennyson called In Memoriam. In the sixth stanza, I tip these words as encouragement for the sermon. We have but faith we cannot know. For knowledge is of things we see. And yet, we trust it comes from thee. A beam in darkness, let it grow.